Be the right club today. Yes! Again, has to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton. Come right back toward the hole. Seventeen years later, Hal Sutton is the Players' Champion. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Be The Right Club Today podcast. Hal, what's happening? Well, we're making these changes inside the academy here. That's fun. Yeah, we've got a little new, uh, not a new, but a, a, a temporary backdrop for the podcast for those watching on YouTube. Yeah. We're in my bay today instead of instead of Hal's because we're adding some new, some cool new technology to the back area, adding putt view, adding some new simulators. Kind of exciting. Yeah, it is. We're going to maximize the use of the footprint that we have and uh it's just people wanting to learn and and uh we're trying to help them that's exactly right so it's it was um the the uh, world golf championship wgc match play event was this last week did you play in a lot of match play events i played in a lot as an amateur and then i played uh, a couple of match play events they were they were not uh, plentiful because they didn't want to lose the best players in the first round TV didn't like that, so uh, you know the format that they're using now uh, doesn't allow that to happen. So, did you? Did you have success in match play? Obviously, as an amateur, you, you had a great, great success. Yeah, as an and I was pretty successful in the Ryder Cup as a match play. Um, it's a tough format, though. I yep. mean, you got to get busy right off the bat. It's a different than uh, stroke play. Yeah, what, talk about that a little bit. There was some there was some chatter on Twitter about you know some of the guys talking about how that they're you know their disdain for match play. What what are your thoughts on match play? Well, it, you know, in order to be successful at match play, you got to get on the accelerator right off the bat. A right. little bit of mind games in match play. You know, I used to, I'd give a guy three or four footer on the first hole, and uh, you know, I think in his mind after that it was always. Is he going to give me another three or four footer? You know, and I think it it spelled a couple of things. It spelled I had confidence in my own ability to do that, mm-hmm. and it put something in their mind. You know, you don't have those sort of things happening in stroke play. Yeah, you're just prepared to make it. It's part. just a completely different mindset to play match play versus, you know, stroke play. Right. Were there any other strategies you tried to incorporate? I mean, I know you, you talked about Tiger, at the players. You know, you that that's a match play event at that point. You know, at the last couple of holes coming down the stretch, it's you versus him. I mean, it's not really match play, but it, it, you're kind of viewing it like that. Like on 18, you talked about wanting to hit, wanting to hit last to have the, to make the decision basically to 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 put the put the pressure on or or do whatever. Did you did you try to do the same thing in match play, or did you just you know more or less play your own game? Well, I played my own game, but I I made decisions and changes in my plan based on what the other player did yeah and you know that game plans don't change usually in stroke play yeah so um you know you dictate what you're fixing to do based on what he did yeah so if he gets up on a tough par three and hits a really good shot to five or six feet will you will that cause you to change your your target could yeah yeah it could take it on a little bit more there's no risk if you if you you know, short side yourself, big deal. You're going to lose the hole anyway. He's yeah. going to probably make birdie. So, right. um, there was another interesting debate about, and it's something I didn't get a lot of experience with, and I don't think you really did either. But green reading books, you know, what what are your thoughts on, you know, having these books that basically tell the the grade of the slope of of every green? Well, green reading is an art, and I personally don't like aids to help enhance that uh you know i think that's 
like a guy that can play a specialty shot that another guy can't play. You know, there's there's advantages to being good at things. Yep. And uh, there's disadvantages to not being good at something. And, you know, I love science. I love the technology in the game and all that sort of stuff. But I still love the fact that we've got to do some things on our own. And I love the art. That's the artist we're in the game. And uh, I don't think – I'm not a big fan of green reading books. I'm not. Yeah. So uh, – you know, Hal Sutton doesn't have any say so in what they do, sure. but, but that's I, my know, opinion. Colin Montgomery came out and said something about it. There was a couple other players. I think Lee Westwood said something about it too. Um, and I just followed quick, you know, just kind of checked out briefly. But it didn't seem – it seemed like most of them agreed with you. It seemed like they weren't weren't as much of a fan of it. Well, you're mentioning all the older guys too. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, let's just be truthful about this. Yeah. I mean, you and I, because of age differences, have a few differences of opinion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the game moves on past a lot of us. You know, it moved on past Hogan and it moved on past um, Nicholas. And and it continues to move on past us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some things probably are for the better and some things aren't necessarily for the better. But, I mean, the older guy, we probably always like to see it. You face the same challenges I faced. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't have to face the same challenges I faced. Correct. You know, yeah. I, I let you hit my old persimmon driver in there, and it didn't oh. fare quite as well for no, you. No, that was a challenge that I didn't didn't really like facing, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's heavy, <laughs> it's heavy, heavy, and short, and it short. doesn't go near as far. <laughs> it wasn't as fun. Harder to hit in the screws. Yeah, and I, you know, I played with a little bit of persimmon growing up, but definitely, definitely moved to the titanium and graphite shafts really quickly, so I didn't have to, didn't have to, <laughs> have to do it so much. Um, Talk very quickly about green reading. You know, you said it was the there's a there's a skill. I didn't feel like I was ever a great green reader. I felt like when I had a caddy that on the bag that that read greens really well, I was much more confident as a player just because I you know I I tended I tended to read straight putts breaking a little bit left to right. I grew up kind of cutting putts a little bit, and so everything kind of reads. I kind of see them left to right. So talk about you know your. Um, how you felt like you, your skill was as a green reader, how you and you and Freddie kind of did it together and some of your other caddies did it, did it? Well, first of all, I would say I was an average green reader. I wouldn't say I was bad, and I wouldn't say I was good. Uh, the art to being a good green reader is that you start paying attention when you're 100 yards from the green. And uh, That's strong know, right there. You know, I mean, too many people wait until they get on the putting surface, and it's really hard to see things when you're standing on top of it rather than when you're walking up to it you can see all these little things yeah, like this that's really good. and you know i already had my mind made up where the lowest point on the green was before i ever got on the surface i secured that once i got on the surface yes everything's going that direction the, you know the grain's going wherever the lowest point on the green is going and um uh you know here's another point that i think is really important here uh, when you said you always felt better whenever you had somebody on the bag that was a good green reader, that means you turned all the decision making over to him, and you just executed. Mm-hmm. So that means you committed to something. That's right. So many of the times, people never really commit to anything. Mm-hmm. They hit an uncommitted stroke, and you can just about count on one finger how many of those are sure. going to go in. I Absolutely. mean, they're just not going to go in often like that. No, you're exactly right. And I, I felt like, you know, I would, I knew that I didn't read greens really, really well. Like I was, I would have considered myself an okay to below average green reader. But I always felt like when I had somebody on the bag that I knew read greens really well, yeah, it, it freed me. It took one variable out of the question. Like I, I would, and this is bad, but this goes back to what EJ talked about. We talked about with Jack. I would almost place the blame more on them and just say no I hit a good putt he read it wrong you know and it it, it freed me up even more well to that point Freddie used to always say why don't you get me to help you read greens more and I said well Freddie if if you don't first of all you don't know how hard I'm gonna hit it and uh secondly I mean you can't read the putt if you don't I mean you got to pick the distance first then you read the putt and uh he put indecision in my mind. If he differed with me, then, okay, who do I go with? What he thinks or what I think? Mm -hmm. And uh, I always felt better about going with what I thought. Did 
I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this question, but you know, you've designed a, helped design a couple of golf courses. Did your view on green reading change or differ after you designed a golf course? Did you learn anything after designing the golf course and kind of seeing how it was how it was built, or did it change your perspective on it at all? Well, you know, I I built the couple that I built. I built because I like long sweeping slopes. You know, I don't like sharp slopes, and I just. You know, I felt like the old style greens were better than, yeah. uh, but I don't think it affected how I. No. Yeah. As far how as how I the wa- how the water drains off the green or anything like that, I mean, it's. Uh, I knew a lot about that from having played competitive golf. Yeah. For a long time, so uh, you know, one of the things that I was able to do is watch what some of the best putters in the world did. You know, I played a lot with Ben Crenshaw, and you know, watched the way he. Raymond Floyd was a great putter, and I played with Raymond every Tuesday. Yeah. And, you know, I watched him pay attention to things. You know, the guys that had the best imagination, you could also build a case that they paid the most attention to things. Yeah. You know, did they have a good imagination because they just were born with it? Or did they have a great imagination because they saw everything? Yeah, and and they were they were better at painting the picture of what they wanted the ball to do versus – Guys that get too mechanical are trying to make too perfect of strokes and doing doing stuff with with the mechanical side of the thing, the engineer side of the, side of the brain versus them seeing the ball go in the hole from 15, 20 feet. I mean, you know it. I know it. A lot of a lot of the listeners at home know it. You get over. You've gotten over certain putts in your career, 20, 25 footer, and you knew it was going in. Like you yeah. could literally see it go in, and it goes in. Well, there's a certain amount of artistry to the game. They can't take it out of it. You yeah. know. I mean, look at Bryson right now, with everything that he's doing with his putting stroke and everything. He's trying to take a as much of the artistry out of the game as he, out of putting as he can. Yeah. It's still art. He misses. Mm-hmm. Sure. And he doesn't make them all. He's got a green reading book. Yeah. He's got basically locked down on everything that yeah. he can lock down on. Eliminating as many variables as he can. He's eliminated his, all of them that he can. Yeah. And, and you'll see a place like next week, like at Augusta, they're, they're fighting to keep the artistry and the, and the, yeah, the, working the golf ball and playing a lot of breaks and all that stuff like they're trying to keep it in the game as long as they can yeah well it's it's on the edge next week i can tell you at augusta for sure talk a little bit about what you know just quickly what augusta meant to you um well i'll never forget you know the first time i qualified to play at augusta i'd watched the masters all my life you know and some of the greatest scenes that a golfer has in his mind are moments that happened at augusta and we remember those because it's on the same golf course. Mm-hmm. You know, the other majors move around to different places. But, you know, that's one thing that TPC, uh, Sawgrass, they've done. By having it at the same golf course all the time, we have m- moments that we remember. Yep. And so, you know, the first time I drove down Magnolia Lane, I couldn't believe what that was like. And... Uh, Anyway, long story short, uh, I, I don't have a lot of fond memories at Augusta. I never played very well there. Uh, I hit the ball too low, and, you know, I, I tried to change my game going into Augusta where I would hit it higher and never really hit it as well there as I hit it at other places. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they're the, the king of long sweeping slopes with super fast greens. Yeah. I mean, um, you see, you cannot believe how fast some of the putts can get at Augusta. I mean, like spooky fast, mm. you know, and and tour players see the fastest greens in the world all the time. You know, the fastest green on the golf course might be the first hole. Yeah. I mean, I never, ever had a putt for birdie that I felt like I could be aggressive on the first hole. Not comfortable with it. Not comfortable with it. Virtually, I mean, you might three putt it as easily as you one putted it. Yeah, I mean, I remember on 13, Tiger putting it off the green in the water, had an eagle putt and – end up end up making bogey i think you two put the next one like i can think like hole nine you know if you hit it above the hole in the wrong tier there like you can put that thing 40 yards off the green if you're not careful well you know 15 you could put it off the green into the water yeah there, there's plenty of places that you just don't have to think about those sort of things at another golf course yeah. well it's cool that we're kind of back to some normalcy and and getting to getting to watch the masters in april again instead of instead of in the fall like we did last year so that's that's kind of cool. Well, let's 
let's get into the the meat and potatoes of of today's podcast today's podcast is we wanted to do one on we called it swing misconceptions and it's basically stuff that's been talked about for for a long time really still talked about some today some of them not as much today but still still around that a lot of our students come in and they talk about certain things like you know what they've been told and what some of their playing partners tell them to do and we kind of how and I kind of look at each other and kind of smile like nope we don't want to do that anymore and so we're going to go through go through you know we picked seven or eight of them that we've been we've been told and and thought that were correct for a long time and whether it's high-speed cameras whether it's you know track man or or force plates they've kind of started to show us that there's a better way to do it and so we're going to go through and talk about talk about each one of them and what they've you know how they've kind of been been explained through the last couple generations and kind of what they mean today well before we get started into this i think i want to add that uh, this probably has more to do with me in terms of i heard a lot of this stuff uh and i want to talk about the guys that probably told us some of this stuff they were doing the best they could at the time they did not have the things that we have today that have proven some of these to be wrong and you know this is in no way a criticism of the other people that have maybe started these myths and uh, uh, you know they were taking what some of the best players in the game talked about as a feel they didn't have high-speed cameras and technology. It's just a feel, yeah. and we all know how feels are not real sometimes. That's exactly right. But that's all we had back. I, I'm I'm guilty. That's all I had. Sure. And there's going to be stuff ten years from now that we're going to look back and, you know, I was teaching and I w- I won't be teaching anymore. You know, just some little little things that we thought certain things with how the grounds or if you know ground force interaction is supposed to be, and we're gonna as we learn more, you know, as as the science field learns more, they, they change some of their some of their practices. So yep. that's it's all about learning and trying to get better. So awesome. Yep. All right. So the first one is is probably one of my favorites, and it's it's one of one of the the ones that a lot of our higher higher handicap players have been told, and and a, and a lot of parents tell their kids, and that's keep your eye on the ball or keep your head down. The reason that this one we we brought this one up is is there's too many players that are trying to play golf right now that think that if they miss hit a shot if they don't hit it solid or they top it or they chunk it that they didn't keep their eyes on the ball or they didn't keep their head down <laughs> the the analogy i like to make and I'll, I'll go on a little rant with this but like any of you guys that live in a big city think about driving through a big city during rush hour traffic going 60 or 65 miles an hour and think about all the things that you do at the same like um, all, all, all the like you can do simultaneously think about every place that your brain is in at that particular moment from driving with your knee holding a cup of coffee changing the radio station you know you got a, a, a car that just cut you off you got another car on the left that just flipped you off because they thought you cut them off you're, while you're changing lanes while you're trying to figure out where your next exit is while you know how much gas is in the car while this and that and this and that all at the same time and so you we as human beings can do so many cool things like that but we don't know where the golf ball is. Like the minute you set up, your brain knows golf ball's right there. If you whiff it or if you completely chunk it or if you top it or don't make good contact at all, something else happened. Chances are you moving your head was because you were too steep on the downswing and your brain said, mayday, 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 I'm about to stick this glove in the ground. I need to stand up to make a correction. Rant, rant over. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple of really great players, David Duvall and Annika. Annika was one, DJ now. Yeah. So, you know, where their head is, you know, the ball's still here and their eyes are out here. Yep. You know, the head's out there. And, uh, you know, you don't have to keep your eye on the ball and you don't have to keep your head down in order to hit good shots, to be honest with you. And, in fact, it, it hinders you totally releasing everything and creating all the speed you can keep by keeping your head down yep and a lot of teachers nowadays we've talked about this a lot are, are teaching players to release their head to aid in rotation right and so if you don't have a lot of upper body rotation even hip rotation at impact sometimes letting that neck and head release will allow your chest and shoulders release there's a balance point there like we don't we don't necessarily teach that to everybody but we'll we'll teach that to some players the other thing is as kids when you're swinging at it really fast You've got all the mobility in the world to keep your head down and let your body release a little bit. But as you get older, you know, joint mobility and, and flexibility starts causing problems. So <laughs> it, it starts to, it can, it can cause you injuries. Yes, it can. And uh, 
don't keep your head down. That's all I got <laughs> to say. Don't, you know, don't do it. Don't, don't force it. That's right. And and again, last last little bit on this. If you're a parent of a of a young kid that's that's playing playing the game and they miss hit it, they don't hit it solid. Don't tell them to keep their head down. Please, please, we beg you, don't let them let them go. Figure out why they're miss hitting it. It's not because they're not trying to hit the hit the golf ball. A lot of really good. You know, if you ever played baseball at home, a lot of those guys never saw the bat hit the ball. They're actually looking out ahead. So same thing applies to golf. Yeah. Second thing is backswing doesn't matter. I mean, we've been in here since August the 1st, and I will guarantee you that we work on backswing, backswing, backswing all the time because the backswing, if you get your backswing in the correct position, it sets you up to make a good downswing. If you don't get your backswing in a good position, position you're going to have to manipulate to get that club back to where you wanted to get it back to yeah so talk a little bit more about like when when people say backswings don't matter because they 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 said that from the fact of like you got jim furick you got tiger woods you got jack nicholas you got david duvall you got matthew wolf you got dustin johnson like they're all they're all completely different and I, i i see where people people say this one of my arguments is okay that's fine if you're a world-class athlete and a world-class player the backswing doesn't matter as much Mm -hmm. like you know your your backswing was a little bit different than Mm -hmm. than what was taught back in the day and and again if I'd like to think if Hal Sutton came into this academy when when you were 25 or 6 and you were swinging at it the way you were swinging at it we wouldn't necessarily we might make a small little cut but we're not going to completely do surgery and, and change your backswing but for your 10 or 15 handicaps at home that are slicing it or that are doing something, our job is to start where, the, where we see the first issue. And almost always it's earlier than most people think. Almost always where they see standing up at impact or they see reverse pivot or they see, you know, whatever, not enough body rotation. It's happening way early, earlier than they think, halfway in the backswing or at the top of the backswing. Totally agree with that. Uh, you said if I came in here at 25, we would make a small cut. We wouldn't make a yeah. major surgery. But shame on us if a 12 or 13 year old comes in here I love that. And, and they've got a backswing that's way out of sorts, and we're not going to change that. I mean, they're 12 or 13 years old. We want to make life easier for them. Let me let me tell you, Jim Furyk is a really good friend of mine, and. Jim and his dad worked consistently on this their whole life. I mean, he never had a different teacher. He always had the same teacher as his dad. They worked all the time. He worked on his golf swing all the time. He needed to. You know, but a guy that's on plane all the time and and has got a simple little golf swing, he doesn't have to work on that as hard. He doesn't have to. I mean, when you're here to here. Up and around. Up and around. Yeah. I mean. That's a lot of work to to maintain that, especially the timing required. Not not just when you're at home by yourself, but when you're in a money game. But then you know you reach the the highest level that Jim did. You know, getting that that thing to repeat when the pressure's really on and your your speeds get a little bit off becomes really a challenge. And it's yeah. and it's arguably why he for you know how tall was Jim? Probably six two or three. For six two, six three, not hitting it all that far. Now right. again, Jim's obviously had a great career and one of the best players to third leading money winner of all time to ever play the game. So he was obviously successful. But he probably felt I'd, we'd, I'd love to talk to him about this at some point. But he probably felt like he had to he had to really monitor his speed or he could get a little bit out of whack. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, Jim never. Jim did everything slow. I mean, he's you know this. I'm not talking about him when I say this, but he's always been on the slower side yeah and uh you know his he never really got fast with his golf swing either you just can't yeah you can't create the same speed there at what age do you do you not revamp the golf swing and is it is it an age level or is it a talent level or both uh i I think it's both to be honest with you i think that's um dependent on the person themselves um you know i Kid gets in college, it might not be, uh, you know, we don't want to do major surgery at that point. You know, maybe, maybe, depends on where they are in college. You know, if they're not beating anybody yet and had no success and we're trying to help them have some success, but if they're beating some people already and shooting low scores, we got to think twice about making a deep cut. Yeah. I think it's a, I've always thought this was a fascinating conversation because, and I was, 
uh, a little surprised at first that you know you made a comment to me one time you know Jim Jim Furyk Jim's golf swing didn't make Jim Furyk Jim's mind made Jim Furyk exactly and I, I love that because I've always felt the same way everybody said oh if you'd have changed Jim Furyk at a young age you'd have ruined him and I'm like not if you did it early enough you wouldn't have ruined no, him no Jim was he he was determined to win yeah determined to be the player that he was mm -hmm. I mean his determination is why he was there yeah not his golf swing or lack of yeah uh you know Jim's mindset was that of a champion yeah and that's what many people miss out on yeah and then would, wouldn't you agree that you know as we get to 20 or as Jim got to 20 25 26 at that point it's that's what you got it's that's what you, you gotta got to be real careful with it's hard to make changes I mean I tried to make some changes and uh you know I tried to to make a change in the early 90s and it just about ruined me i lost my card and yeah. used a one-time exemption to keep my card and then ended up going back to what i knew how to do and ended up winning the next year yeah and yeah because what you did got you there exactly if it, if it got you there and that's a, that's a mistake a lot of players this could be another podcast a lot of a lot of young players will get there and be overwhelmed because they're up against a dj or tiger that do things a little bit better and then they panic well and here's the other thing that happens once you get out there you get there and then everybody tells you what your shortcomings are and why you can't stay <laughs> right i had that happen too right you know so i mean and we're letting a guy push in a pencil that doesn't know very much about golf right. he surfacely knows something about golf con us into believing that we lack something yeah. and we might really lack something yeah. but listen to someone that really knows that's exactly exactly right that's that's pretty powerful all right so the next one is probably outside of keep your head still is probably the most i believe overused term or or segment or or intention um in the game and that's that we uh, we put down it's all in the hips um it's so many times we hear students coming in saying, oh, you know, I just got to fire my hips more, you know, or where does speed come from? Speed comes from the hips. And I honestly think that it's completely overblown. And what I mean by that is that, in my opinion, the lower body, the hips are the foundation. But it's not, the, you know, we want the lower body to work correctly. But if, if, if we had a contest in here and we said, okay, for the next six months, everybody that comes in here, all we're going to do is work on the lower body. We're going to make the lower body perfect. It wouldn't be that difficult for us to get every player in here to for them to pivot, pretty pretty spot on, pretty you know correctly, close to close to you know scratch level handicap whatever. But to get the whole system to work correctly too, just because we got the hips to work correctly, the hips don't move very much compared to how far the hands and the arms and the and the shoulders move. So it would be really easy for us to move the hips correctly. But these players, a lot of these, some of these players would get better, but the majority of them I personally don't think would because the club face is still in a bad spot, and the only thing that hits the ball is the club face. Yeah. It's a, this, one's a, this one's another rant in my well, life. I can go on this one for a while. Well, this time. is one of the reasons, you know, we saw – one of the reasons why you and I are together right now. That's exactly right. Because when you were at my swing, I mean, I was intrigued with what three-dimensional golf said. I mean, unfortunately, I got intrigued as to why – I had any success or what I was missing and that's what drove me to want to do what we're doing now is right. I'm still trying to learn yep. and trust me we never run out of learning yep. and uh, or you shouldn't run out of learning if you think you know it all trust me you're fixing to get passed <laughs> that's right. but uh, you know I was at the PGA show and <clears throat> I listened to a seminar that Chase did and I waited around and asked him i said you know I, I see everybody trying to fire their hips so fast it's unbelievable looked way out of sorts to me all the kids you know they weren't strong enough the club was controlling them more but they knew to fire their hips so the club arms are way behind hips are way forward and i mean it just looks unorthodox completely That's you know exactly and right. to me a good golf swing is where nothing stands out yep and, and I really like golf swings when nothing stands out. And you can make those hips stand out in a heartbeat. 100%. That's one thing I've, I've stolen from you is that you've said that you, you should never see transition. Like you shouldn't. You, with really good players, you can tell by their rhythm. I, you know, I don't, I don't like to use rhythm and tempo a ton, but like you just can't see them, you know, violently transitioning. And a lot, you know, a lot of the kids that can are flexible and can move it. And even even some of our better better older players, you can see a jerk down or a move, and it, 
immediately that's off. You know, one of the, the, the talking points with the hips that a lot of people don't realize is, you know, we ask a fun little question with everybody that comes in, you know, where do we get speed from? And everybody's like, lower body. Of course, it's lower body. Yeah, we use the ground, we need, to, we need, to, we need the foundation, but, you know, if, if we ask, and we'll ask this question, you know, who's got faster hips? the LPGA tour women or the PGA tour men. And, you know, when we ask the question there, you know, their radar's kind of up like, okay, was well, this a trick question? But they normally say quickly, oh, the men do. They don't, the women do. The women rotate their hips faster than the men. And it's actually quite by quite a bit. The second question is who rotates their rib cage or their chest faster, the men or the women. And normally again, everybody says the, the men do they they don't it's about a tie but the women are actually just a, on average a little bit faster so women move their hips faster and they move their chest faster than the men do so again we'll ask where does speed come from and the difference is and it, it was interesting you know we I, I was blessed to work with bryson a little bit and, and got him on the system and we had 18 sensors all over the body think of like little apple watches all over the segments of the body and we had him versus an LPGA Tour player, and her hips were rotating like 200 degrees per second faster than his were, like 15 to 20, 30 miles an hour faster. Like it was a lot. And her chest was faster than his. And I went back and looked at the clubhead speed for both of these swings. And his clubhead speed was like 118, 119. He wasn't Hulk smashed Bryson at the time, but he was still pretty fast. He was at like 120, and she was at 100. Like 99, 100. And, and she was way faster with her hips, quite a bit faster with her, with her chest. His arm speed, his shoulder speed was infinitely faster. Clubhead speed, obviously, way faster. So where do we get speed from? We do not get speed from the hips. The hips, you know, probably are around 15 to 20% of our overall speed production, where the rest comes from the arms. Think about throwing a Frisbee at home. If you were going to throw a Frisbee and you just fired the hips and the arms stayed plastered across your chest, you're not going to throw it very far. But it's the timing, it's everything working together, it's the sequencing of the energy passing from the hips, the rib cage, up the body to the arms and shoulders, down to the hands, is how we create speed. Speeding up the arms is oftentimes the easiest way to increase clubhead speed. And that's that's a no-no to a lot of, I would say, the older generation of golfers, because you guys were all were taught the complete opposite for so long. So you all see why I like working with this guy? <laughs> Because he, he knows an awful lot of stuff. And, you know, it's different than what I knew to begin with. And, you know, I've been intrigued with all of this stuff. It's fascinating to me. Uh, today's podcast where we're talking about the misdemeanors that we've heard of yeah. forever. Right. You know, it's... How did we get as far as we got with what we knew? That's what that's how I would say this right now, you know, and I mean, I'm, I'm still learning and, uh, I know this for a fact, uh, simpleness is what we look for. How do we make this simpler for them to do? Yeah. And, you know, I can assure you that fast hips is not simpler. No. And, and if you think about it too, I think the one thing that we, we both strive to do and we do a good job of is, is if everyone at home came in or everyone listening at home came in for a lesson, you know, we're going to try and, and look at each person as its own puzzle and we're going to try and fit the pieces together the best way we can. And, and the, the point I'm making here is that we don't want everybody to go home and swing their arms faster because their arm swing might be fast enough. Um, most people we see their arms are trailing the body. We don't, very few people do we see their arms are too fast past the body. But the message is you guys at home have to find out why you're struggling with what you're struggling and try and put that piece together, not just take some, you know, random golf digest tip that you read and, and, and just think it applies to you and everybody else because it doesn't. And that's the hard part. And that's the reason why a lot of guys don't improve their golf swings because they never, they never figure out that one piece that they're missing or they need to take away or they need to add to the puzzle. Well, uh, hopefully we're talking about some things here that have y'all have questioned in your own mind at this point. Yeah. You know, uh, this next one segues into the last one a little bit. Arms should always be slow and passive, you know. Yeah. Uh, tell them what you think about that, Chase. Yeah, so again, this, this idea of you know, and I would say I would say passive arms tends to be a little bit more of a good player problem. Um, you know, your junior golfer that swings their body too fast, arms get stuck behind, the path gets you know shifted inside out, more of a draw type pattern. So any of you guys that hit big hooks at home, um, 
you know, you might hit big pushes, big hooks. You might hit behind it a little bit. We talk about low point control all the time in here. Um, oftentimes what we'll see is we'll see arms that are behind the chest. So if you, if you take your lead arm, you're, so I'm a right-handed golfer, so you take your left arm and you just make a grip and then you, you make a backswing where your left elbow kind of goes into your chest a little bit and then you just rotate your body into kind of a finished position where the elbow stays across your chest. That would be a, a situation where arms are a little bit too slow. And it, again, it tends to shift the path to the right and it tends to move low point back behind the ball. So you're gonna chunk it at times, you're gonna drop kick it at times, you may shank it at times. And so, again, a lot of that is we've got to feel our arms swinging a little bit. We've got to, you know, the, really the only way to get shaft lean, to get the hands ahead, is for the arms to be fairly forward. You know, it's never gonna be back behind to get shaft lean. And so, again, there's a blend, and I don't, I don't want everybody, to, again, to run home and fire their arms from the top, but, just know that the arms are not passive. The guys on tour swing their arms way faster than LPGA Tour players. So if arms were passive, then the PGA Tour players would swing their arms slower. Than, the slower the arm speed, the faster we hit it, and that is not the case at all. Well, one of the points that we're always looking for is where they're, when the, club, the shaft is parallel to the ground, how far their arms have traveled. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, I will guarantee you the better players, the arms have traveled further at that point. Amen. I mean, you can pull up, you know, look at Roar and McElroy as you look at any of the better players on the tour, their arms, at when the shaft is parallel, their, their hand is in the middle of their thigh to in front of their right thigh, That's their exactly. trail leg. That's exactly right. And, you know, the higher handicap you are, your arms are going to be further here. You will have gone ahead and you know thrown the shaft a little bit yep and you've given up a lot of your speed already by that point that's exactly right so so for those listening on the downswing when the club is parallel to the ground on the downswing so if you're looking at us from like the caddy view or from face on where the camera's pointed at the chest go to youtube take a video or, or look at all the guys that swing at it really well and when the club is parallel to the ground on the downswing their hands need to be somewhere around the middle of their trail thigh and, and what you'll find is with bat, with, with higher handicap players, their hands are farther back. They're, they're farther behind the trail thigh, and they're usually upper. Or they're usually higher up, and then the club has been released. And so we've lost all of our, all of our leverage, a little bit of lag. All of our power is, has been thrown away because the arms aren't quite as far forward. And so we have to figure out as teachers why they aren't forward enough. Is your backswing too long? Did you fire your hips too soon? Like there's a lot of reasons why. But this whole, whole adage of arms have to be slow and passive is just, in, in our opinion, it's just not correct. I'm working on speeding mine up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the next one is, is one that, uh, that, again, your generation Hal, heard a lot of, and that was restrict the hips, increase the X factor, maintain, you know, maintain right knee bend in the backswing. Yeah, yeah, I heard maintain the right flex in the right knee yep. you know and and i don't know looking at your swing even like two thousand players you didn't really do it it seemed like you let the right knee straighten a little bit well maybe subconsciously but yeah i don't think it was something that i consciously did i think yeah. it just got to that point uh but i heard it all the time you know and, and you know hogan started a little bit of that yeah. you know even though he didn't do that no he did not and 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 quickly we don't want the the trail knee to completely hyperextend. We don't, you know, we teach a unrestricted hip turn where we're allowing the hips to turn pretty deep. We want to let the right knee straighten. We don't want to necessarily lock it out to a point where it's locked out. Right. Right. Um, and so to talk about a little bit of, about why this was taught, restrict the hips, restrict the hips. Everyone thought that if you could restrict the hip turn and turn deeper, you were increasing what they called X factor. And so the X factor was the difference in shoulder turn versus shoulder turn, chest turn versus hip turn. So the idea was you turn your shoulders 90 degrees, you turn your hips 45. So that stretch, that 45 degree of difference, you were basically stretching the rubber band. The problem is a lot of people can't stretch the rubber band that much. And so what happens is we end up getting too much stress on the system. The low back L5S1 in your low back starts to get too much stress on it and we start having hip pain. The other thing is what we found is when you stretch, 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 and the hips don't turn, the hips end up going, they'll end up firing off too early, and then we get into a whole host of problems. The head backs up, the body backs up, and we get too much tilt and all this, all this stuff. So what we found is that 
if you the the holy grail in this stretch and this is a little technical and but i'm going to go into it just briefly we want to maximize hip rotation to where we can get 45 to 50 degrees of hip rotation we maximize shoulder rotation to where we get 90 plus depending on what club more so with the driver 90s plenty with an iron but then the stretch is in transition we want the hips to stretch out just a little bit it's about four or five degrees that's called the x-factor stretch and that's where we tighten up that rubber band and pull in that rubber band to where then everything snaps and, and is let go but the hard part is, especially as you get older, if we're trying to stretch that rubber band too much in the backswing, we basically lose it all and we're, we're really at a high risk for low back pain. Y'all get that? <laughs> you know, uh, I heard it all the time, you know, they use the word coil yeah. a lot with me. Right. You know, and, and, you know, you can still coil because your feet never move. Yep. You know they're still planted in the same spot you know we work a lot on good footwork here mm -hmm. we don't want the foot going too soon we don't want the foot going the wrong way the trail foot and um you know i don't want my right knee flex staying completely flexed yep. you know i can't as i get older especially all you guys and girls out there that get older we can't stretch as much in our back so if we get a little bit more turn yep. from our hips uh, because we didn't restrict the right knee, then we get a little bit further back, we get a little bit more speed, we get a little bit more distance. And I know we've not met anybody in mm -hmm. here. They all come in here wanting more distance. Yep. So this should be music to your ears. This might be a place that you might find another mile or two or of speed that's exactly right without stretching out the system too much exactly that's the cool part it's yeah. it's a it's a free it's a free rotation free motion um lengthens lengthens the backswing a little bit as how mentioned and, and again plenty of research out there shows slightly longer backswing equals slightly more distance the long drive guys out there are not making short little backswings no. they're making long backswings no. so next one stay in posture we, we got to stay in posture can't come out of posture um, any kind of extension is bad. Were you taught this? <laughs> Was I taught this? Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I'm sure you heard it. I don't know. Oh, if, yeah. I don't know yeah. if you implemented it or not, but you definitely, yeah. you definitely heard it. Because didn't you, didn't you get criticized early on that you came out of it? Somebody or, or somebody they told I came you. out of posture in the downswing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A lot. I mean, a lot of people. I finished way too straight up and down. They thought, you know, and. Well, you didn't. You didn't, didn't look stay like, in right tilt. You didn't look like Hogan, so that so you couldn't play. Is that what? <laughs> yeah, you know, even though I was taught by guys where he knew Hogan inside and out. Yeah. You know, right. Um, you know, there's a lot of things. You know, if you're if you're a champion, if you had the mindset and the heart of a champion, we couldn't stop you from being that. You know, Very one of the good. things yeah. that. I, you can't mess up somebody that's destined to do this, that wants it that bad. I mean, you might slow them down, but their will is to have it. Yeah. And, you know, so there are people, there are exceptions to the rule. Yeah. Um, you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think a guy's like like Lee Trevino figured it out and had the mindset and then turned into a world-class ball striker. One of, your, one of your close friends you mentioned a lot We'll probably have him on it sometime. Is Curtis Strange? Right. You know, Curtis. You know, won two or three U.S. Open, two U.S. Opens, back to back, back to back U.S. Opens. I mean, to win back to back U.S. Opens, it's just it's just unbelievable. But you know, and, and again, we'll probably talk to him about this. But he didn't he didn't think that his swing methods all the time were were perfect for him, and he won despite of it. Well, I mean, you know, everybody thought you had a straight had a straight left arm, and Curtis won two U.S. Opens back to back with a left arm bent that much. You know, there. I mean. You can't keep – I mean, he was one of the meanest guys I knew on the golf course. Yeah. I mean, he wanted it yep. worse than anybody I knew. That's my point. Curtis makes my point for me. Yep. And, true. you know, so all these things that we're talking about, you can't slow people down like that. But what we're really talking about is for the youngsters that are coming up, you know, don't get hung up on these things. Yep. And if you're an older player out there, if some of these things that we're talking about right now, you – are really dogmatic about and forcing right now you might try giving up that force and seeing where this takes you yep focus on focus on another another thing um 
this kind of goes into a, a, a point we've ran into we ran into a couple times today with with some players good players coming in and thought you know one especially thought he had a host of problems and we we really fine-tuned it down to one little thing that cleaned up a lot of other issues and he was really hard on himself and and most of the time when you guys are struggling with your ball striking most of the time especially if you've you've played at a fairly decent level at, at some point most of the time it's something fairly simple to get it back it's not you don't need to blow up the house and start over you just need to fix a couple of light fixtures and your your house will get back in order so you know we kind of i kind of felt like these guys were extra hard on themselves and didn't really need to be like golf's hard enough it's going to kick our tails enough like talk about and how you do a good job of this but talk you know talk to them about the good thing you know like the, these guys at home need to realize like most of the time if you can play at a certain level your golf swing is pretty dang good we just need to make small little tweaks yeah well what you know one of the things that i'm really big on is people come in here looking for answers I, i've been looking for answers my whole life that's why i'm doing this as yeah. a matter of fact right. still looking for answers but we come in here and they feel judged I felt judged every time I went to take a lesson, you know, and, and we go in there looking for those answers. First thing that the teacher spit out is what's wrong. This is what I see. This is what's wrong. And many times I left and never felt like I did anything right. And so one of the things that I like to do is, I, you know, this is not just true in golf, but this is true in life too. Just pretend you got a cup right here in front of you. And if I'm going to take all the love out of the cup with telling you what's wrong, mm -hmm. then I need to put some love back in there and tell you what you do right, yep. you know, right. so that there is some of those things that says, hey, this is worth trying. I'm, I'm not lost. I don't have to tear the house down right. like you said. Right. And, uh, you know, and this is a bad problem with better players because we're judging ourselves every day when we get finished. What do we do when yep. we finish? We talk about everything that's wrong. What yep. do I need to fix? Yep. And we we get less grateful for the things that we do right. Yep. And, you know, pretty soon if you stay down that path, nothing will be right. Yep. And uh, what does that do? That destroys your confidence. That's exactly right. And I keep going back to this idea that golf is going to destroy you anyway, so you might as well try and keep filling your cup up because yes. it's just too hard. This is such a hard game. I mean, I can tell you right now, Everybody out there listening, you don't have it all figured out. There's something right now that you wish you had. And, I mean, you're, if you're a golfer, there's something you wish you had. It may be more distance. It may be uh, not laying a sod over it. It may be <laughs> not sculling it. It may be not shanking it. Sure. It may be make a putt every now and then. But we're you're listening because you're hoping to find out something. That's, that's exactly right. So, with uh, going back to the, you know, stay in posture, you know, we want to our we want to use extension we want to use the ground to push up to the best of our abilities at the right time a lot of people come in talking about oh i got to stay in posture i got to stay in posture i got to keep my head perfectly still no you don't do we want to early extend and come out of posture too soon no not really but but the this idea is there is a loading and unloading of the ground we want to load down then we want to extend and somebody you know if if you stay down forever if you stay in posture forever you're going to kind of look like a, a, a much older older player that has kind of an old golf swing because you'll see the head staying down forever instead of extending up and out. So this idea that we've got to keep our head perfectly still or we've got to stay in posture forever, it's, it's never going to happen. You're just, not, you're just not going to do it. There is an up and down motion to the golf swing. I was able to come out of extension pretty good for a while there. You and, did a pretty and good job I of it. had my left side kind of not really like what I was doing anymore and I've got the old man's disease where I stayed head stayed posture, forward, head stayed long, forward yeah. and everything went left and yep. it just didn't feel right never has felt right and I always felt better when I got up and out of the shot sooner yeah it's a it's a power source too you know definitely um the last one was is one that you know my dad preached to me some and I think it was because he read it in golf digest or whatever but it was toe up toe up and what we mean by toe up toe up is in the takeaway, basically club parallel to the ground is getting the toe straight up and down, and then in the finish, you know, club parallel to the ground in the finish, getting the toe up straight up and down. So it's like this full full face rotation release type thing. And, and when we were talking about doing this, I asked you if you had been told that, and you said, oh, yeah, lots. A lot. 
So what is, you know, toe up, toe up, what does that, what does that mean, to, mean to you and, and, and what do we know now? Well, what that means to me is it would work if the ball was sitting up here on a tee yeah. and we were standing straight up and down and swinging like a baseball bat, yeah. you know. But since we're bent over and, you know, the plane is more for y'all out there, it's more like this, yeah. that means the face has got to be a little bit like this. Yeah. It's so, straight up and straight down to the spine angle, basically. Yep. Yeah. So the, the plane is, is a little bit more, we, we swing on an inclined plane, so yeah, we want the toe up would be toe up to kind of the angle of your your rib cage right you know and then the release and so toe up toe up would be would be excess face rotation right, right? It, it would require an extra piece of timing that's not necessary right right um not saying you can't play you know if you're a world-class player out there listening to this and you rotate the face a little bit you can obviously play good golf there's been plenty of players that have done it but if you're struggling with fades or slices or even even some hooks and stuff and you've got all this face manipulation through impact it could be just because you're you're keeping it a little bit too open coming back and making it a little harder on yourself well and here's another thing too you, you wake up feeling differently every day yeah and right. when you have to manipulate that face that much to make it go straight some days you're going to be better at it than other days yep and well, that was kind of fun. I felt like I got some stuff off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got uh, next week is the Masters, and I know everybody's looking forward to that. And I've got a friend of yours, a, uh, a, a, a Masters champion, a yeah, former Masters yeah. champion. Do, do we want to do we want to leave it leave it up to suspense? Let them, uh, let let's, them figure yeah, out. Yeah, let's let's leave it up to expand uh, to your curiosity. Uh, former Masters champion, good friend of Hal's, um, will be on on with us next week. He will be and. Uh, He'll be there. Awesome. Well, um, look forward to that. Hopefully you guys got something out of this one. This was fun, definitely fun for me to do. And uh, if there's any more misconceptions that you think we need to put a squash to, we can do a misconceptions 2.0 yep. here, here in a few weeks. But, uh, again, as always, if you guys have any questions, comments, thoughts, hit us up on social media, uh, Hal Sutton Golf, uh, Chase Cooper Golf. Um, again, th these are a blast for us to do, and we're just trying to, trying to make it fun and entertaining, and hopefully you guys learned something. See you next week. Be the right club today. Yes!